Good to see you all today. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1, 19 through 27. James chapter 1, 19 through 27. We continue our series called Faith That Works. Faith That Works. And hasn't this book been so good? I mean, James is a great book. And, you know, all week long, I'm reading it, thinking it, uh, praying it for our church. And I'm like just so convicted on so many new things that God is teaching me. Uh, and I, hopefully it's been important for you as well. In the early 2000s, you may have heard this story before, a young woman named Elizabeth Holmes, an intelligent, ambitious uh, Stanford dropout, started a company called Theranos. There's a bunch of documentaries on uh, Hulu and Netflix. If you've seen this, some of you are nodding at me like, yes, it's like, kind of like, it kind of grabs you. It's an incredible story. Uh, here's a picture of her. She started a company called Theranos that claimed that they could revolutionize how they diagnose blood diseases for those who would have diabetes. They said that in the, in the comfort of your own home, you could just give one drop of blood and it would be able to analyze all diseases known to man that you could find th through um, blood testing. Uh, in 2014, her company was worth $10 billion. And she was running around, hanging out with celebrities on the cover of magazines. They said she was the next Steve Jobs. Maybe it's because she wore the black shirt all the time. I don't know. Uh, but she was an up-and-coming CEO, and uh, everyone was looking for her for great things. Unfortunately, everything that she claimed was false, and she was a hypocrite. And her whole entire company collapsed, and her and her CEO are now serving 10 years in federal prison, which they began this past May. Hypocrisy is difficult, there's a lot of pain in it, and it affects a lot of people. Hypocrisy happens when we say that we want to live a certain way, or we, we claim to live a certain way, and we do something completely different. And nobody ever intends to be hypocritical, I don't think. Uh, I, I think all of us on some level are hypocritical in, in the sense that we have high ideals, high values, we want to live a certain way, and then we don't always add up to those things, which is very normal in our faith. That's why we believe in Jesus, because Jesus is the only person who ever lived who wasn't a hypocrite. He lived a perfectly righteous life for, for you and for me, and when we put our faith in him, God accepts us as we are. Uh, and I've used this several times, but the New Testament teaches us that God doesn't keep us as we are. We are then called to grow in our faith and obedience to God and grow in our holiness and our maturity, and we're to be authentic in that. We're to be genuine in our faith. In fact, uh, on our t-shirts, if you have a t-shirt or a sweatshirt, it says becoming authentic. This is a major value of our church, to be authentic as opposed to be hypocritical. We want to be authentic followers of Jesus. In fact, here's our mission statement on the screen. And if you're new, this is kind of what we live for. This is why we exist. And so if we could uh, say it out loud together just to kind of bring unity to the church here, let's say it with me. We, are, we become authentic Christ followers compelled to change our world. Uh, we exist to become authentic Christ followers compelled to change our world. That is our mission around here. And people love that mission statement. In fact, when people hear it, they go, yeah, I want to be authentic. I want to be genuine. I, you know, I don't want, forget like hypocrisy. I want to be authentic. How? How do we become authentic followers of Jesus? Well, the author, James, in our passage, picked up on the tension of becoming that. In the next paragraph in our book, he speaks into becoming authentic and how we can become genuine and real in our faith. It begins in verse 19. I'll read the whole passage over, and then I'll break it apart um, kind of verse by verse and, and idea by idea. Let's read it together. Uh, verse 19. Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you and we thank you that you first loved us and you gave us Jesus as our uh, Savior. And we know, Lord, that in our hearts we don't always live the way that we ought to or want to. We don't always live up to a standard of our values and what the Bible teaches. And that is why we are so grateful to be a part of a community of grace, that we believe in your mercy and your grace as the foundation of our relationship with you. But God, as I said, and as the Bible teaches, you don't just keep us in a place. You want to move us along towards maturity. And so, Lord, you want us to be authentic, real, sincere in our faith. And this morning, as we look at this important passage on doing your word, would you help us to pay attention to your voice and your Holy Spirit on what you're calling us to do, on what you're calling us to obey, and how we're to follow you afresh and new today. We pray for a fresh and filling of faith, a fresh and filling of your spirit and love for anybody who's dry and weary here, Lord, I pray that this morning you would encourage and lift up so that we can walk closely with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when I was growing up, I fell asleep at church quite often, actually. I don't think anybody here fell asleep, has ever fallen asleep at church, I'm sure. I'm sure you all have been you know, wide awake all the time. But I would fall asleep at church when I was a little kid, and my grandfather pulled out this little pocket change, this like little change holder from the 80s. They had these things where you would like put your change in. You all remember these? Some of you are giving nods. We all know. We, we, come on, 80s people. We all know. My grandfather had this little thing. He'd pull it out and say, I want you to count all the change in my pocket holder uh, and listen to the sermon. It was his, his way of getting me to pay attention. Now, I don't know how well I listened while I counted his change, because he always promised me a few quarters after church. Uh, but the, uh, but uh, the author, James, in our passage tells us that authentic faith is developed by how we listen. There are two listeners in our passage. There's an active listener. There is a passive listener. Both of them listen to the Bible or God's word. And what they do with what they listen is what makes them into an authentic follower or not. We hear the first description of the passive listener in verse, 9, or verse 22. Look down with me. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their, a mirror and after looking at themselves goes away and forgets what he looks like. The passive man starts off well. He begins by looking at God's word, reading God's word. That's wonderful. And when James talks about the word, he doesn't just mean the Old Testament, but specifically the teachings of Jesus. This guy pays attention to the teachings of Jesus. And I want to affirm that, and I want to affirm anybody here who has began or begun to read the Bible more seriously in their life re recently or in the last couple years. That's a good thing. Maybe you've developed the habit of reading it every other day or listening to it in your car as you drive around. Maybe you've downloaded a Bible app and you now listen to it on your way to work. That is wonderful and good, and I'm proud of you for doing that. Keep doing that. The Bible is still the most sold book in the world today. It still uh, is the top of the charts. And 30% of Christians say they read the Bible every day. 
27% say they read it every week, and 12% say they read it every single month. Now, that's pretty good. I think we could do a little better than that, but it's encouraging to hear that people are reading the Bible. And did you know that 45% of people who don't go to church are interested in what it says? They would want to know what's, what, it, what it means and what it says. In other words, if you were to ask two people to join a Bible study, one of them would say yes. That's pretty encouraging to know, right? People want to know the scripture. And this guy begins to read about Jesus. He wants to know more about what he says. And unfortunately, what he reads stays put in the Bible. He doesn't do anything with it. It ends with his time reading. He closes the Bible and, and that's it. James says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. We derive our word audit from the word listen or hear in this passage. Not audit like an IRS audit, like we don't want, but audit a class in college. When I was in seminary, we always had students that would audit a course. They'd want to sit in the back and listen to the lecture. And it made me so angry. You know, I couldn't stand these students. They'd come in, you know, and they'd walk in, and they would sit in the back, and they would cross their arms and say, I'm, I'm auditing. We'd come in, those who were taking it for credit, pull the laptop out, pull the, 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 the notes out, you know, get our glasses on, get studious. But the students who audited, oh, they just sat in the back. I'm just here. They wanted to, to listen to a lecture of a popular professor, but they didn't want to do any of the work to learn the knowledge that the professor was teaching. Uh, you know, I, 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 it doesn't matter if I show up or miss a week. I'm just auditing. I don't want to read any of the books or do any of the papers. I'm just auditing the class. James says, don't audit Jesus' teachings. The picture is like Jesus is teaching. He's teaching the class. Class is in session. We open God's word. And if we don't pay attention to it and do nothing with it, it's like we're just like, I'm just auditing. Not here to do any of the work to grow and change in my life. You know, some people come to church and they think, oh, I'm just here to just sit down and get away from the, you know, the heat outside, be in a nice room, be encouraged, which I get, but I'm not here to do anything. I just want to hear a good message. Or maybe they think when I read the Bible, God doesn't actually require me to do anything with this. Like, are you kidding me? Like, look at this thing. God actually thinks I should do something with what I read. I mean, for sure, if I read it and there's a good verse in there, like, that's for me. But like, if I read it and I don't know, and it's asking me to do something, God doesn't really think I should do anything with it, right? That's the attitude of the auditor. And it leads towards deception. The auditor, uh, the one who reads like an auditor, uh, is deceived. It keeps us from having authentic faith. And it's actually the groundwork for hypocrisy. Because we say we know so much, but we do so little. You know, the Bible and God actually uh, teaches that God doesn't want us just to grow in knowledge and information. God wants to change your heart. He wants to change you and me. He wants to form authentic faith in the heart, not just grow our knowledge, although that's really helpful. Um, being a, an auditor can also have long-term effects on our lives. The word deception can also mean wanderer. A person who only hears God's word is like a, a person who's wandering aimlessly in their faith. They're just like dull, you know. You ever see someone just wandering around town? Just like, hey, what's going on with that guy? You know? That's, that's what happens when we read the Bible and we don't actually want to do anything with it. We're like wandering in our faith. Now, when I was in high school, 1999, okay, I'm kind of aging myself right now. 
I went to this great place, amazing place. It's called the Mall of America. Okay, it's in Minnesota. Who's been to the Mall of America before? Yeah, okay. Last service, okay, last service, like half the people. I was like, wow. Man, Mall of America's popular. It's in Minnesota. My family's all from Minnesota originally. Go Twins uh, in the playoffs. Um, and, and I went there in, in 1999. I got there. It's huge, okay? If you've never been there, it has its own zip code, Okay. It's crazy. It has a fire department in it. Has has a Knott's Berry Farm in the mall. Has a school in the mall. Can you imagine those those recesses? Let's go on Ghost Rider, everybody. You know, yeah. Like those are. That's a great place. So I get there. I'm walking around. I found this store that I feel so embarrassed talking about this. I, I was. It, it was like the store that everyone wanted clothes from. It was like this, it was called Abercrombie and Fitch. I know it's popular now again. But back in '99, everyone wanted to be. You know, and I found this outlet. $9 for a pair of board shorts. I and mean, that was good in 99. It's even better now, right? And I, and I got the board shorts, and I'm like, cool. I'm walking around more. After a couple of hours, though, something happened to me. And I just started walking around aimlessly. It's like, what is going on? I didn't even notice the sale signs anymore. I'd lost track of time. I became a mall zombie, okay? I got lost. I didn't know where I was anymore, you know? And the, the, the problem with just listening to God's word and not doing anything with it is that if we listen and have no intention to obey what God says is that you and I become a church zombie. We become people who are just like, come in, nothing, no testimony, like, you know, zombie, you know, like, no, we're not sharp, we have no direction. That was a pretty good joke and no one laughed at it, you guys. <laughs> At the 9 o'clock, no one laughed either. I'm not ever using that again. <laughs> I even tested it with somebody here, and they said it was, worth go- it was gold, but I guess not. But imagine, we are, if we don't listen and obey, we become church zombies. A church zombie is someone who listens and never does. They listen, and they never do anything at all. James says that to become an authentic follower of Jesus, to be authentic and real, it involves the right kind of listening. And that right kind of listening is then developed further in verse 25. But whoever looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Let's just repeat that last part. If, we're, if we obey, what happens to us? They will be blessed in what they do. We'll come back to that in a moment. That's pretty important. The second listener, the active listener, listens uh, with intent. He listens intently. This is a, a superior listener. That word intent, uh, intent is a pretty cool word. Mirrors in the first century were not as good as the ones we have today. And so you had to look intently at yourself in a mirror to see you know, where you needed to shave and where you needed to kind of clean yourself up. And in the same way, this person is intent on reading God's word. They're intent. They're looking at it. They're trying to figure it out. They may not get everything, but they're trying their best. You know, they're, they're, what does that mean? They're asking questions. He's intent about it. This word is used in the New Testament when Mary and Peter went into Jesus' tomb and looked intently at the empty tomb. Can you imagine? They walked in. Oh, wow, there's no one, no body. You know, looked under the shroud of Turin. Where, where, where did it go? Where did it go? Right? They looked intently and then they walked out. But here's the deal. Their intent looking wasn't the, the main thing that changed their life. It's how they lived after they left. They looked in the tomb intently, and then they lived differently. They did something with what they saw. The second man has a habit of looking and then doing, looking and then doing, looking and then doing, looking and then doing. 
He's taking time to consider God's word and, and, and nurture his heart and then go out and try to obey as best as possible. In my home, we have a, a, a principle, a policy that, a policy, it's not my home. We have a principle. <laughs> this is how it's going to be, children. Um, we have a principle. Um, uh, we have a principle. It's, it's, it's called immediate obedience. We ask our kids, that if we ask you to do something, that in a reasonable amount of time that you would get off the couch and begin to do what we ask you to do. All the parents are like, yes, I like this policy, this principle. Um, and we, we obviously receive, you know, we have tolerance for some uh, feedback. We have tolerance for asking questions. We have tolerance for even some talk back. But eventually, they need to get up and go do what we ask them to do. And the reason why we have this policy, this principle, is because we believe that if they will get this in their hearts, that it will actually mirror when God speaks to them, they'll obey God later on in life. And we also believe that by doing the things we ask them to do, that they'll mature and become responsible adults. Well, authentic faith is formed in a similar way in our own life. We listen to God, we ask questions, and then we go do. We listen, and then we do. We listen, and then we do. And this is a very simple principle, right? It's a very simple principle. It's not complicated at all. But, man, is it hard to live out. It's so hard to live out. And some of us may be thinking, well, this feels like performance in my faith. This feels like achievement, like somehow I have to perform for Jesus. What about being and not just doing, Aaron? Now, believe me, I am recovering from guilt in my own Christian faith. And I don't think that Jesus wants us to turn our faith into some kind of performance, which is why James even says in verse 23, look down there with me, but whoever looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom. The phrase, the perfect law that gives freedom, is speaking about Jesus' message, the gospel. And when we look at Jesus, when we study him, when we learn about him, when we learn about how he loves you unconditionally with grace and mercy, God's spirit begins to touch our hearts in special ways, begins to form and shape our desires, and then we begin to do the things he asks us to do from the right place, the right desire. It becomes authentic. It's not contrived. It's not hypocritical. God changes our desires. You might think to yourself, well, I don't really desire to do the things God wants me to do. That's normal. There are, all, there are things in our life that we don't really want to obey God on. In fact, he mentions a few of them in this passage. And if that's you, if you have an area that you don't want to obey God, and maybe you're actually struggling today to obey God on something, you can ask Jesus to change your desires. You can say, Jesus, I don't want to do this. Would you change my heart? That's the first step if you find yourself not wanting to follow Jesus. Jesus, would you change my desire so that I will want to follow you? And in my experience, over time, as we pray that prayer, we talk about it, God does slowly begin to change our desires and we can follow him. Well, what about the heart? Maybe you've heard that the Christian faith is about the heart, it's a, you know, the heart language. How, how does this all play into it? Well, one of the ways the heart changes is by doing something with your body. So just like your thoughts change your heart, so doing things with your body changes your heart because we're embodied people. There's a science out there. It's called the study of change behavior. And this was really helpful for several people at the 9 o'clock service. And hopefully it's helpful for you today too. In this study, researchers have found six stages that people must go through in order to change. Stage one is the pre-contemplation phase, a phase where they're not aware of anything that needs to change in their life. They, they don't know yet. Then they go to stage two. This is the contemplation phase. They realize that something needs to change in their life, and then they start learning about the benefits that could happen if they do change. Stage three is uh, when a person learns more. Maybe they study the Bible more about a topic, or they get more information about it. 
And then stage four, the action stage. This is when change begins. They actually begin to try to live it out and obey what they're learning. Stage six or five is the maintenance phase. It becomes a habit. They begin to like do it regularly you know, in their life and it becomes a habit. And then stage six is my favorite and was the surprise is the relapse stage. We get into a good habit, we start doing things and then we mess up, we lose track of things, we relapse and we have to, be, have to learn and adjust and grow. Oftentimes we're humbled. Oftentimes we have to be authentic with our family and our relatives and say, man, I messed up but I'm gonna get back on that horse again and by God's grace, God's gonna to continue to shape me and to form me. God's word is saying the same thing that science says. The way that we change, the way that we grow is by learning, listening to God, and then by doing. Learning, listening to God, and then by doing. And maybe you are afraid, I'm always afraid of trying to do things that are new, that are scary and failing and maybe relapsing. And I wanna remind you today that you are made perfect in Christ. Jesus Christ died for you. He loves you unconditionally, but he does ask us to make pro- progress in, the faith, in our faith and to obey the things he's trying to teach us today. So James gives us three examples before and after this paragraph of what it looks like to listen to God's word and then to obey. And I wanna break one of those down and use it as an example for us today. So verse 19, he says this really great sentence. It's a very famous passage in James. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Wow, how good, I mean, that is a verse that everyone in our culture and world could really take to heart. Um, But let's say you read this and you didn't realize how important listening was to your faith that listening to somebody else could actually be good for your spiritual life. So you you hear this, okay, cool. You begin to look up more verses in the Bible. Maybe you listen to a podcast on listening and you go, okay, I'm ready to take action. For the next week, I'm just gonna try to listen and ask questions to people when they start talking to me about things. I'm not gonna try to solve their problems. I'm not gonna try to answer them. I'm just gonna try to listen to what's going on in their world and their life. And so you begin and for the rest of the week, you try your best to kind of hold on to your thoughts and your, 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 your speech before you say anything. You go outside, you're taking out your trash or you see a neighbor and your neighbor starts asking you or t- uh, talking to you and they share with you that they are having t- trouble at work to get a, a raise of some kind. And you start trying to listen to them. Everything inside of you just wants to like say, well, you should go to your boss, you should put a letter, you should you know, give them your budget. Like you wanna solve everything But something holds you back and you start saying, okay, I want to ask questions. You start realizing that maybe you get anxious when you listen to someone else's problems. Maybe you realize that you don't actually want to, uh, you know, care for somebody. You just want to deal with the problem and get on with your life. You know, you don't actually care as much as you thought you did. After you talk to your neighbor, you've learned some things about yourself. You take those lessons and you go to God in prayer. You say, Jesus, when people talk about their problems, I have no care in my heart. I don't, I don't have any compassion. I, don't, I just want to solve their problems and move on and get on with my day. Like, give me some empathy, Jesus. Help me. Maybe you share those lessons with your small group. You say, guys, you know, when you guys talk and share your life, I struggle to listen. Help me figure out how to be a better listener. I'm, I'm working through that right now. And as you try to become a better listener, you start noticing things change. Your relationships get a little better. Your marriage gets a little, little better. You start realizing that your relationships are more warm and less formal. You notice that people at work are more appreciative of you. They're drawn to you. They want to talk to you. You have good relationships. And then you realize that your faith is more authentic. Is it perfect? No. 
but it's become more real and more genuine. Authentic faith is formed by listening and then doing, listening and then doing. The passive listener, the person who just hears God's word and has no inclination to desire, is like the person in verse 23. They look at their face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, they go away and they forget what they look like. When Chris and I were dating, I took my, my wife uh, out for um, a one-year dating anniversary to a great restaurant. I wore a suit, and she had a black dress on. It's awesome, you know. Uh, now, imagine if I'm getting ready for that date, and as I'm, this is kind of a gross illustration, by the way, okay, just preparing you. Imagine as I'm getting ready, I, I look in the mirror, I got boogers all over my beard, okay, okay, just imagine, just, I'm sorry, I got to go there. And I go, oh, that's not going to work on my one-year anniversary date. Um, I got to, but before I, I, put, I, I get a Kleenex, I, I'll, I'll put my jacket on. So I put my jacket on, and I forget to go get a Kleenex. I go drive over to where Krista lives, knock on the door. She opens it up. Hey, I got boogers all on my boot, my beard all over. Krista's like, huh, what do I do? I don't know what to do. You know, if you know my wife, she's so kind. She probably would have pulled a Kleenex out and said, let's go, idiot, and walked down to the, the car with me. But imagine that she goes, ugh. Shuts the door on my face. And I go, what happened? I don't know why. Well, we all know why. I looked in the mirror. I saw a change that needed to happen in my life. But I did nothing about it. I had forgotten. When we read God's word and God's speaking to us, he wants to bring good things into your life. He's got good things. He wants to do good things in your relationships. He wants to do good things in your heart and in your life. And when we read it and we don't put it into practice, we miss out on all the good things that God has for us. You know, we look at it sometimes as a restriction, but actually God wants good things for us, but it has to happen by obedience. And that's why James ends the passage in verse 24, that we will be blessed in what we do. By being doers of the word and not just hearers of it, we ignite authentic faith and we see God's blessings today. When we obey God, there's blessing in it. God blesses you when we obey God. You know, um, you know there's a great philosopher out there. His name is Tony Soprano. Good. No, no, one, got, no one got that joke at 9 o'clock. It was like, there really is a guy named Tony Soprano who's a philosopher. Okay, so Tony Soprano, he said this. He said, nostalgia is the lowest form of communication. Pretty, pretty deep for Tony Soprano, Okay. But have you ever noticed how mundane and easy it is for our faith to kind of get dry and how easy it is for our faith to get mundane? Remember when we used to worship Jesus with passion? Remember when we used to pray and get together on Friday nights and do Bible study? Remember when we used to invite our neighbors over and talk about Jesus and invite them to church? Remember all those moments? See, James wants to protect us from just thinking about our past obedience. He wants us to know that today there's things for us to obey God. And there's blessings for us today from that obedience. You know, the people who came to faith that James wrote um, came to know Jesus uh, at Pentecost, probably. Many of them came to know Jesus in the early days of the church. And you can just imagine them sitting around and thinking to themselves, man, remember at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down as fire? That was amazing, dude. Or remember, remember the 5,000, the miracle of the 5,000 where Jesus fed 5,000 people from seven loaves of, of bread or two fish, whatever the, the, the numbers are? Yeah, man. Dude, that was, a, that was the goat miracle. That was incredible. Dude, I have a piece of bread still from, from that miracle. It, it's all hardened and kind of moldy, but I had the Apostle Peter sign it, dude. It sits on my, my desk at home. That was amazing. You see, James wants to protect us and his original audience from looking back and hanging their hats on past obedience. That's good stuff. 
but he wants us to have authentic, obedient faith today. How come? Because there's blessings for you today. There's answers to prayer. There's strength in families and marriages. There's people that your life will impact who are looking to know Jesus and they're gonna see him through you. The evidence of your faith is gonna be seen in love and what you do. And they're looking and they're wondering and it's your obedience today that's gonna lead them to know Jesus. And there's blessings in that. By being doers of the word, you see new blessings, new answers to prayer, new miracles, all of that. Not church zombies, but little Christians, Christians like little, little Jesuses, walking around doing what he asked us to do. By being doers of the word, not just hearers of it, we ignite authentic faith and see God's blessing today. So how do we become authentic followers of Jesus? James tells us, by being doers of the word and not just hearers of it. There's a story of Chuck Swindoll, uh, about, uh, from Chuck Swindoll that I wanted to share with you as we close today. He said this, imagine that um, I start a new company. It takes off and it does really well. I turn to you and I say, hey, uh, I want to go start a different branch uh, in, in, in a different country. So I'm going to leave you for six months to run this branch of our company here. Uh, here's some, uh, some, uh, some, some instructions. Here's a playbook of what to do. I'm going to send you emails every single week on giving you kind of guidance on how to run the company while I'm gone. Uh, Chuck Swindoll writes, now imagine that I come back uh, from that six-month stay. The new company is established and set up. But I walk into the old company and the grass is, uh, hasn't been cut outside the office. The trash hasn't been taken out. The receptionist at the front desk is playing video games, you know, Fortnite or something like that. Uh, the, the, the offices have all been turned into places to watch Netflix. There's 20 voicemail messages that haven't been returned. The place is a mess. I, I say to you, hey, what's going on, man? What happened? And you say, well, what do you mean? And I say back, well, didn't you get my emails? Didn't you read the playbook? You say, oh, the playbook. That was amazing. And that was a great piece of, 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 of literature. You know, we started to, to sit around the office and talk about it, in fact. In fact, we, we broke the personnel up into Thursday night email and playbook study groups. And we talked about what you had written. Great stuff in the playbook, man. Great stuff. In fact, a couple of us memorized a few sentences that you wrote in your emails. I mean, that was pretty committed. But Bob from accounting, dude, he memorized a whole chapter from the playbook. That guy is smart, man. Can you imagine? And you look at him, you go, okay, so you memorized the playbook. You, you got all the emails from me to run the company. What would we all ask? But what did you do while I was gone? Jesus has given us his word. He's given us these, this beautiful uh, uh, you know, story of God's work in our life and redemption. Now imagine if we read it and we don't do anything with it. He comes back and he sits us down and we have a conversation. We, we might say something like, Jesus, we loved your word. You gave us great content in here, man. In fact, we broke up into little groups on Thursday nights and started studying it together. Great stuff that you gave us here, man. In fact, a couple of us memorized a few verses. Dude, that was pretty committed. We, we, we really gave it our best. But this one, this one guy, dude, he memorized a whole chapter of the Bible. Great, great stuff. Great stuff in here, Jesus. Great information. Jesus would obviously look at us and he'd say, I'm glad that you know this. I'm glad that you've put a lot of thought into it. I'm glad that you spent time. But what did you do with it? What did you do? James concludes this whole passage 
with this beautiful statement on what it looks like in a small way to do it. He says this in verse 27, true religion, authentic religion. And by religion, he doesn't mean anything more than just the outward working of our faith. True religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself being polluted by the world. He says, you don't want to know what it looks like to do what God's called us to do? It looks, us, looks like loving people, caring for people. Like your love and my love is the evidence of us doing what he's called us to do. So church, what has God asked you to do? Is there something that he's put on your heart to obey and to do that you're holding off on? Maybe you're new to the Bible. Like this is your first time at church in a long time. You've never, this is intimidating. Believe me, I know. Maybe your first step here is just to get a Bible app and start listening to it. Start in the book of Mark. But for others who've read this a few times or maybe you do your devotions, what has God been saying to you that you need to follow up on and to do? Maybe even this morning as we go to prayer and we worship and this next, next song as we conclude, that as you worship, you could just ask the Lord, Lord, search me. Show me, what have you been saying to me and speaking to me that I haven't been obeying so that I can be not just a hearer of the word, but also a doer of the word. Church, I love you. I love what God is doing in our church. And I know this, this passage is, can seem a little harsh, but I know that there is so much grace in it. And most importantly, what I want is for you to experience the blessings God has for you that come out of obedience not just out of hearing. So let's be doers of the word and not just hearers of it. Let's pray.